Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Contineros podcast. The podcast is sponsored by PortPro, the leading operating system for drainage carriers. Schedule a demo today at portpro.io. In the studio today, we have the founder of GI Logistics, Israel Gonzalez. Welcome. How you doing, man? Thanks for being here. Thanks for the invite. Let us know a little bit about you and what you do. Uh... Well, I am the owner of GI Logistics. We are a small trucker, uh, under 20 trucks. We've been operating since November 2014. Uh, still still trying to make it through this uh, hard times. Look, feel free to move it around here. This get a little closer. A little closer? Yeah. All right. Great. Um, all right, let's, let's, uh, I'd like to ask the guest about who started at the beginning. A little bit of your childhood, if you wouldn't mind sharing. What was it like for Israel coming up? I grew up in Morelia, Michoacán. I was born in 1973, so it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I was born to a single mother. I never met my father. Uh, my mother migrated to the U.S. when I was five years old. She came to the U.S. to give me and my family a better life. Uh, Eight years later, she brought me over to the U.S. I came to visit, and then she asked me if I wanted to uh, stay. And life in Mexico at that short age was still, even though I was young, I could still, I, I was able to, to, to determine that I would have a better future here. So I opted for uh, accepting my mom's uh, offer to come, to come move here, and uh, here we are. Well, she proposed it, like, hey, should we go? Actually, she she came first, mm -hmm. then oh, okay. uh, then she she got married, and she offered if I uh, wanted to come live with her. Okay. Obviously, I wanted to live with her. She was going to start a family, and yeah, and uh, I said yeah. So came here, and it was the best the best decision I ever made. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite memory from that time? Uh, when I first came here, uh, I was very scared about learning the language. You know, that was like the biggest thing, not knowing English, uh, the culture. Uh, the best memory is pretty much all of all of junior high. I got here at, in the middle of the seventh grade. I was set back a year because I didn't speak the language. Mm -hmm. So um, so I was set back a year, but as Mexico, the, the school in Mexico is a little bit more advanced. So I was a rock star with every other class, but, you know, I had like four classes of ESL. English as second language. Okay. Uh, and that entire that entire time of, of junior high was probably like the, my happiest that I can remember. That's when I, you know, obviously culture shock from Mexico to the U.S. I was trying to fit in with the, with the kids that were born here, also with the kids that also migrated here. We were a little bit different. A lot of people that come, come from like the smaller cities or like from the country. I came from like a little city as well, so it was kind of like a city kid trying to mingle with a bunch of of people from all over Mexico. I'd never been outside of where I was born, so it was it was definitely a learning experience, man. I learned the culture. I got to learn the language, uh, you know, growing up, 13, 14, 15 years old, so that's when you're kind of discovering yourself as well. What's uh, the, the first thing you saw and you're like, well, this is different? They give you food. They give you breakfast and lunch. Oh, uh, at school in yeah. Mexico they don't. You gotta pay. You gotta if you don't have money, you know you don't eat. 
okay. There's no uh, school programs that that give you food or 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 school supplies. None of that. None of that. In Mexico, it's whatever you can come up with. Is whatever resources you have is pretty much what you got. So pretty much the help, the help yeah. that you come here and, and, and you get help pretty much for everything. It really is up to you what you do with it, you know? Yeah. You think a lot of people take that for granted? A hundred percent. Yeah, like 100%. you have to give it to us type of A lot of, well, remember when the caravans were, were coming up a few, last couple of years coming from Central America, you know, there was people complaining about the food that they were being given at the shelters. Oh, yeah, I heard of that, yeah. You know, you're... you're, 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 you're you got to be grateful for, you know, if people offer you a little bit of food, whatever it is, even if you don't like it, I mean, you're hungry, right? You come into another country, so um, <laughs> then you got to be grateful for whatever they give you, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. people definitely take it for granted. My tortilla was cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you want to be growing up over there? When I was in Mexico, man, my grandma always told me that I should be a doctor because doctors make a lot of money. So I kind of wanted to be a doctor, but in her, uh, you know, in, uh, out loud, I wanted to be a doctor, but I want, but silently, I wanted to be a, a an airplane, an airplane pilot. Oh, crazy how easily influenced we can be. Yes, program. You should be this. Okay, uh, I just yeah. want to please you. Yep, pretty right. much. And then when you got here with another perspective, did that change at all? What yes. you really wanted to be? Yes. Uh, when I got here, uh, the sky was the limit, man. I mean, once I learned the language. Uh, I started seeing what this what this country can 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 offer, and you pretty much can be whatever you want as long as you know you stick to you know you stick by it, as long as you have the grades, as long as you you know you do most of everything right, mm -hmm. you can pretty much do whatever you want. Uh, but it definitely changed. I definitely you're, wanted to uh, fly airplanes for sure. I'm sorry, your, your expensive jewelry is making a lot of noise. Let <laughs> <laughs> me take the jacket off. What? The, let, me, let me take the jacket. The off. jacket was expensive too. I oh. No, I think it was making the, the loudest noise. Sorry. Es la pulsera. De... Think so? No. Yeah. Let me take it off. Raw and uncut, guys. Let's go. There you go. There it is, man. So you were saying, before I rudely interrupted? Not no worries. Uh, you asked me if people take that help for granted. Yes, 100%. I think that when we first came, we take the help and we we're extremely motivated. To, to do something with a now newfound opportunity here in the mm -hmm. States. And after we are able to land a job, uh, we start, you know, making ends meet and we obviously live better than we lived, you know, wherever we, whatever country we come from. I think that we get complacent, stagnant, and we forget about what it is that we were chasing. The, the I mean, and you see it in the stats, you know, how many people actually make it, how many people start their own businesses, how many people get out of the ghetto, mm -hmm. get out of the projects. You know, I grew up a block away from the projects, man. It was, it was, it was rough. Well, some people make it and they seem to keep coming back. Why do you think, why do you think that is? They come back and they, they live there, they stay there, you mean? or Yeah, like in that lifestyle. I don't know. Well, I guess that, that question stems from maybe like like the the whole like rap culture and stuff you know like the rappers that come out you know and they yeah, come yeah. back and they get killed where they it's just fucked up yeah kind of like the game the game still lives in compton i think or carson wherever he's from is, yeah i guess that, that could go like a whole nother but, um, <laughs> yeah so you had that that goal to get out of that uh yes 
And yes. I, in Mexico, I grew up obviously poor. You know, but compared to Mexico, it wasn't that ghetto then, right? Well, no disrespect. Well, that no, no, no. Ghetto no. can be an not offensive word to some not people at all. in um, 2023. But I mean, like, you would think because you came here, it's a whole different... Like, what we consider ghetto here to someone over there where it really is ghetto might think it's a nice... It's because here, you know? here, here, when we say ghetto, we're referring to, to, to the hood, to, mm. to being poor where you grew up. Mm. In Mexico, where, where you grow up, being poor isn't necessarily the ghetto. It's ah. just a community with limited needs. Yes. With limited means, I'm sorry. Here, if you're poor... People are robbing. People are, you know, there's gang bangers. There's, you know, there's, there's all this criminal right. activity mm -hmm. going on. Uh, and the ghetto here is related to being of limited means at times. Uh, was it worse over here than there? I mean, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Morelia, which is a small city uh, of Mexico. It wasn't ghetto where I grew up, but obviously we were definitely poor. But I didn't see the crime that you do see here in East LA, growing up in East LA, where you're coming back from school and you get robbed for your chain or jumped for your shoes. Or I didn't grow up seeing that where I come from. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was also very... Uh, Did something like that happen to humble. you here? Actually, yes. When I was in high school, uh, I'm getting off the bus. I went to Roosevelt High. And I'm getting off the bus. I had to ride the bus to school. And as soon as I get off the bus, there was this gangbanger right at the, right outside the bus, right off the steps. And he reaches in and grabs my chain, like the little gold chain I had since I was a little baby. And he tries to rip it. I grabbed his hand. And, you know, anyways, tug of war, blah, 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 blah. I grabbed it and I took off running because was, he was with three or four of his. Mm. You saved the chain? Homies, I saved the chain. Dude. <laughs> you know, it, it scraped the hell out of my neck when he pulled it. And uh -huh. yanked it off, you know, mm -hmm. from my hands. I had to pull it off him. He pulled it off me and I Ooh. took it back from him. But I got it back. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where is it now? I don't know where it's at, dude. Oh. To be honest with you. <laughs> but I did save it. For that moment. <laughs> yep. Cool. So let's uh, fast forward to... Maybe it's too much of a leap, but trucking or... Was there a job in between that you want to talk about before you jump into the trucking world? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, when I came here, I obviously went to junior high, high school. Uh, mm -hmm. I was a little bit lost, man. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had a ton of potential, but we didn't have the means to, uh, to send me to school. I did have good grades, but, you know, because of ignorance uh, and because of where I went to school, I don't think that the counselors... The school counselors spent enough time doing their job. So I wasn't aware of, of all the help that was out there for people with good grades. I applied for some scholarships. I did get them. But I didn't have the means to, for example, go to UCLA and be able to live on campus. On, on campus. We didn't have a car for me to commute every day. So, so college wasn't an option for me. So I had to join the service. That was my only, that was my only way out. My only way to not only get out of my house, get a job, but just kind of like go away and kind of figure out what it is that I wanted to do. What branch? I went to the U.S. Navy. Okay. And I was there. I did. Uh, I went in from 92 to 2000. So a little bit of close to eight years. What did you do there? I fixed. Uh, I was an AT. Uh, what they do is they fix uh, radar and radio communications. 
and uh, then I switched ranks because I couldn't go up in rank. Rank means money. So I switched to aviation maintenance administration, which is pretty much a work in an office. I, I managed uh, the maintenance that is given to the airplanes. You manage the aircraft logbooks, the engines, the wings, all the components that require uh, log entries. Um, I managed that and I was able to move, move up in rank pretty quick. And m higher rank means more money. That's pretty much what that meant. So I was a young kid with high rank, making decent money. I mean, loving life, living it up, man. I never had anything. So when I was in the service, I, was, I had money, I had a place to stay. I had a job, rain or shine, I got paid regardless. So it was a little, it was a, it was a good uh, foundation for me to, to kind of like start, start a new life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Starting my life again, you know, for a second time after migrating to the U.S. At that point, you had a family yet or no? No, not yet. I'm single. Okay. I'm 19 years old when I joined the service. I was stationed in, uh, I went to boot camp in San Diego, uh, but I was stationed in, in Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia. I was there for four years. Uh, it was great, man. Uh, my very first two, I was, a, I was stationed on a seagoing command. What that means is I was on a squadron that was attached to an aircraft carrier. So whenever the aircraft carrier was summoned to go to Europe, you know, it brings uh, its air wing. The air wing are all the different squadron types, the fighters, the, the, the attackers, the, the radar airplanes. I, was, I belonged to a, a radar squadron. Um, so whenever the ship has to get ready, start trials to, to go to on a, on a six-month Mediterranean cruise, you got to practice. You practice about nine months to be ready for that six-month cruise. So you get to travel a lot, man. You go to the Virgin Islands a lot, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Key West. Uh, you do a lot of detachments within the country as well. Uh, you go to Texas, New Mexico, Nevada. You do a lot of a lot of training, dude. So you, I got a chance to travel, see the country. It was it, it was great. What are they practicing when they're those six, uh, those nine months? Nine months. What we do is we go out to sea, mm -hmm. and the 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 crew, the the ones that work on the ship, we work on. Land, being able to land the airplane. So I worked on the flight deck. So, um, like the guys with the stuff that kind of yes, do directing the airplanes. Okay. Uh, uh, some start the airplane, some fuel them, some are mechanics, some are just uh, traffic directors, and some are catapult uh, launchers. Mm. Uh, to be able to work on the flight deck, you got to know everybody's job. You have to know where you're standing at any point on the on the ship because if you have at times you are you are you are you are launching airplanes in the front, and you are recovering, which means landing aircraft at the same time, dude. And there's While that shit's floating yes. around, and the ship is sailing. You got you got airplanes landing, you got airplanes taking off, and you got this massive amount of people, a hundred, couple hundred guys, but walking around on the flight deck while all this is going on. So you have to know your job, and you have to know everybody else's job. You got to know the, how the exhaust works on every single airplane so you know how to walk around the around the, the aircraft carrier because if, if you're behind an F-14, which are no longer, you know, those F-14s are decommissioned now. But if you walk behind an F-14 versus a, an A-6, the exhaust hits you on the feet different. Mm. So you have to know how each airplane works so that you don't get, your feet don't get swept up and you end up, you know, close to an intake. Oh. And the airplane swallows you up, and you're done, buddy. So you have to know everybody's job. You have to know your job, and you got to be alert 100%. There's wow. no 
there's no time to be sleepy or tired or distracted or I didn't know or mm -hmm. nobody taught me. It's your life. Do the headphones today bring back memories? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> dude, I, used I just to, had that vision yeah. right now. You wear, a, you wear a earplugs, foamies. Uh -huh. You stick them in and then you do the Mickey Mouse ears. Ah. So it's, it's, it's double hearing protection. Wow. That's crazy. A and yet, did it impact you regardless? Your hearing? The hearing? Well, funny you say that. Um, lately, I've, I've kind of, I, I think I noticed in my, my, my hearing... And when I say lately, the last 10 years, like okay. a little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit of ringing, a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. I used to sleep right under. I used to sleep on the third floor, right where the airplanes land on the carrier. Oh. And for an airplane to land on, on such a small uh, uh, runway, they use arresting wires. Okay. These are some wires that are about that thick. Uh-huh. And it's four of them. So when the airplane is coming in, it has a, a tail hook. So, oh, okay. so when the airplane comes in, it has a hook that when it lands, it grabs one of the three or four arresting wires. And when the hook grabs it is what holds the airplane from taking off. Mm. And I used to sleep on the birthing on the room that is right under where the airplanes land, land on the, on the flight deck. And every time an airplane lands on the flight deck, I mean, I don't know how much an airplane uh, weighs, bro, but you know it slams on the on the deck. You gotta re you gotta remind uh, be reminded that the the, the ship is moving, mm -hmm. and you're out to sea, so it's 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 bobbing. Sometimes there might be a lot of force. Sometimes it might land with ease. Sometimes they land with, with ease, but flow. sometimes they slam with everything they got, yeah. and and you hear that all night long. But you sleep with 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 with, with the foamies, mm -hmm. and it helps you a lot. I mean, I got most of my hearing. I think I got all my hearing. I think, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, we're doing pretty well so far. <laughs> but. And then um, honorably discharged? Honor no, honorably discharged. Okay. I had to extend uh, three more years Okay. to come to California because I didn't have a job. I wanted to, to, uh, to I, I didn't want to get out of the service and not have something land on. I couldn't rely on my parents to go back home. You know, I didn't want to go back home. Backwards. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't want to go backwards. I didn't want to go back home and kind of feel like I was stuck there, you know? So um, I extended three more years. I was stationed back in California. I was stationed in Point Magoo, which is between Camarillo and Oxnard. Okay. It's a little uh, okay. naval air weapon station. Okay. So I was there for three years. I did some schooling. I did about three years worth of college. I uh, did some computer networking. I did some uh, business management, a little bit of that, and and then it was time to get out, man. Is that how you went to trucking? I was looking for a job. I was looking for a job, and uh, I didn't know what to do, to be honest with you. Uh, my what I was doing in the service transitioned to transportation. It did. It did, but I I wasn't sure where in transportation I wanted to be in. So I, my stepfather used to drive trucks. My uncle used to drive trucks as well. And they both drove for one of the Calcartage family of companies. And my uncle brought me an application. He said, hey, I spoke to the manager in San Diego and uh, he says he'll interview you. I said, but I don't want to be a trucker, man. I don't want to drive a truck. Mm -hmm. So he says, no, man, you can dispatch. I didn't know what trucking was. I didn't know how truck drivers got their trucks, how they got to work or Anything. So I learned that, you know, they had offices and, you know, you dispatch and you can kind of do office work without driving. 
So I filled out the application. I went and interviewed with this guy, and I think I impressed him pretty good because he wanted to hire me on the spot. Mm. Um, but they didn't have any positions in San Diego, so he offered one in Compton. And mind you, I grew up in East LA. I didn't know any of LA when I was when I came from Mexico. East LA is the only thing I knew. East LA, maybe Hollywood, downtown LA, and the surrounding areas around LA. But that's 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 all I knew. So when I heard Compton, you know, I heard of you know rap and and, and crime, and I didn't want to work there either. Mm -hmm. But I took the job anyways. We worked out of this little double. Is it double? A double trailer? Dual or double? It's a trailer, like a yeah, a, a dual, a wide, a two wide trailer. I think they call it. Hmm. Anyways, so worked out of a trailer uh, in this this yard and like the mobile home looking type, kind of like, a, like, like a, an office, yeah, but yeah, yeah, a mobile trailer. Yeah, but yeah. it was a double, a dual double. I'm not sure how they are. double wide. I think they call it double wide. Sounds familiar now. Anyways, so um, yeah, that's that's why I started dispatching. Dispatching. I started as a dispatcher, um, but I wanted to do customer service. Which was your favorite driver? Which one paid you the most? <laughs> I, ne I never took a dollar. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> I never took a dollar. Were you offered? Oh, all the time. I yeah. think I think everybody's offered money. Why do you think they have that mentality that they, that they think they have to buy out a, a dispatcher? The ones we, that do. Because that's that's where we come from, where where we come from in Mexico and in Salvador, Central America, Guatemala. You know, you you buy the law with with a little something under the table, mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of you know. It works over there, so people try it here. Was it awkward after you rejected, moving forward? Uh, awkward? No, I just told the guys that I rather they do they do my work, because if I moved everything I needed to move, I would look better. They didn't need to pay me for what I was doing. The company was already paying me for what I was doing, so I just needed to do a good job, so that I could get more money from them, mm -hmm. instead of from the drivers. And you get money from drivers, your job has an expiration date. Oh, and that's a good it's way just, to look at it. It's just a matter of when they catch you, you know, and, and do you want someone having you by the cojones, by the cojones, by the gonads now. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be able to, I like to sleep good at night, so, so no. What was, uh, uh in, any interesting uh, memories from dispatching days? Yeah, man, it was, uh, when I first came on, uh, when I was when I was coming through the ranks, I think that the crop of people were very uh, they were go getters, uh, aggressive people that wanted to be the best at what they did. At least I think I was blessed that when I came into that company, the guy that was the company was putting a they put a good team together, and there was a lot of competition between us. You know, everybody wanted to be the best dispatcher. And we and I'm, I'm calling everybody dispatchers, but we were all customer service. Okay. Uh, back then, we were growing we were growing so fast that uh, I believe we had one Lambert. This is when, when China Shipping was still mm -hmm. in the mix. And China Shipping had just had just come out. And we were doing, I think, three, 5,000 containers a week of Lambert alone. So the, the best memory is... is all the dispatchers and customer service guys competing to see who could, who, who could move more containers. Mm. And we had some uh, so some pretty rewarding days, man. Nice. So the best memories are, you know, just, just I guess, doing our best, bro. So trucking started there for you then. What was the next step for you on your journey? 
well, I was there for 14 years. I came in not knowing what a chassis was. Uh, so I had to come in and I had to learn everything, every single thing. I, I knew nothing. Uh, I think they made me a they made me a supervisor within like eight months when I first came, and then I was uh, I was the operations supervisor about a year and a half after I came in. So I moved through the ranks pretty quick, uh, and I helped the manager a lot. I helped the manager a lot, and within two years I was at, I was at the company two three years. I felt like I had reached uh, the top. You know, my manager wasn't going to go anywhere, so I kind of felt like I needed to go somewhere else. I wanted to learn more. Mm -hmm. I was hungry for knowledge. Uh, and then one day, this guy calls me and he tells me, hey, I just quit. I just quit, so good luck, man. I don't know who they're going to bring. Uh, but, you know, good luck. Good luck with your new boss. So that day, I went home and I told my wife, hey, I always wanted to run this company. I wanted to, you know, be in management, so... I'm gonna give it a shot. So I asked for the job. I asked for the GM's job, and and no long story short, they gave me a shot. Long story short, they gave me a shot, and uh, I managed that company for about nine years, nine ten years. We grew it about three hundred percent. We were at about a hundred, a hundred and five guys. Uh, when I first got it, we were about a hundred and five, a hundred guys. We grew it to about 306, 310. Multiply the revenue by like 500%. I mean, that was the next step, brother. Becoming a, not knowing the industry and becoming the, the, the GM there was like a huge, huge step. It was very scary, very intimidating. Half the time, I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going, you know? Every day, I would go home and analyze how my day was. Oh. Every single day, I had 45 minutes to an hour to go from Long Beach to Santa Fe Springs. And in that route, I, I went over my entire day uh, going everything, going over everything that happened. I'm talking about the highlights of the day, like the, 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 the last three days, the, the drivers are stuck, the cranes are down. How are you going to get 50 last three days out? Because at that company, it wasn't one, two last three days. It was like 50, 20, 100 last three days. We had a lot of work. So I analyzed everything I did on that day so that I was ready for tomorrow. In case that came up, I could react faster. I had a better approach mm -hmm. to how to fix a situation. And, uh, and that was a lot of growing, man. That was a lot of growing. I was given the opportunity to manage the place without having any accounting, any previous management experience. So it was up to me to be the best version of myself. So I realized that I had to work on myself and, and, and analyzing my days at the end of the day is what I think was the core of my success. Knowing what I did that day, whether it was a good day or a bad day, kind of helped record the highlights in my mind. And that helped me. That helped me, uh, you know, as, I don't know, up until today. Yeah, because I was just about to ask if you took notes, or if that was just a daily Mental, practice. It was know, just a daily practice. You know, it, be, it became a habit. Uh, so when things happened, I mean, we were able, thanks to that, I think I was able to jump on fixing issues before they became okay. it, yeah. before they yeah. became one. Okay. So you, you started, you know, at the bottom pretty much. Do you think... 
uh, nowadays a lot of people are skipping that part and going straight into grab the bull by the horns. And, and what's your opinion on that? Uh, just my opinion. Yeah. I don't know if I think that nowadays everybody wants to make the money and they don't think how they're going to get there. Um, I was lucky and blessed, I guess, because I was, again, I started dispatching outside, then came into the office, then became CSR, then became, there was three supervisors above me. I replaced one, then the second one, then the third one. Then they eliminated three guys and it was just me. So I, I went through the process of, I guess, how to properly grow. Yeah. When the management opportunity was in front of me, I didn't think I was ready. But it was either then or never. Do I think a lot of people want to get to the top? Yes. Do I know if they're doing it or not? I just think that there's... To answer your question, I think that a lot of people tried to think of the result before knowing how to prepare the journey or going through the journey. Um, I can call myself blessed because I guess I was... I went through the process in the right steps, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm responding to your question. Yeah, in, in a way, it could help someone out there because um, maybe they're thinking of starting a company themselves and and they're like, oh, I'll just start my own and yeah. learn on my own with my company, starting from scratch, you know, versus, I don't want to say intern because I don't think that's the style out here for Dreage, right. but versus being like a dispatcher first or... You know, I think that you have to go through the steps. Well, here's my thing, man. Since I was in the service, I have this I have this mentality where I think that if I'm going to supervise or manage a group of people, I need to know how to do their jobs. Maybe not technically every step of the way, but I have to be able to sit in that person's desk and fill in for that day if I need to, if need be. Uh, I think that knowing the process every single step of the way makes you a better manager a better leader I think that if you start from the top and you try to manage people you're not going to be an effective leader unless you take the time to learn their, their jobs once you get going but I think that knowing people knowing the jobs of the people that you manage is is crucial for you to be able to guide them in the right direction and for you to know as well that you have the right people on the boat. Yeah, especially on the accounting side, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, for sure. All right. So are we close to the part where you say, you know what, it's time for my own thing? I managed that place about five, six years. Um, it was great, man. But yeah, around the seventh year, I was kind of like, what next? You know, what's next? I was all for staying in that company and growing with that company. Um but I also wondered what it would be like if I started my own. But just like everybody else, I had a million insecurities. Uh, was I prepared? Did I know what I was doing? Was I going to fail? Which is kind of like the first, second question you think, am I going to fail? What if I fail? Mm -hmm. And then you think about what are people going to say, you know? You, you always worry about what others are going to say. Um, I had the itch of, wanted to start my own, but I figured I wasn't ready yet. It wasn't until 
almost my 14th anniversary. Two years before my 14th anniversary where I was, I was ready to move on. I had a conversation with my wife, conversation with my mother, conversation with some people that are close to me, and I was getting paid really well. So people's opinion and advice was making really good money. Why are you going somewhere else and start from scratch when, when you have this thing going on that is good for you? That's a tough spot to be in where outsiders see that yeah. value versus your heart and your passion. Yep. Where, yep. And they kind of prioritize that one, yep. right? Yep. I, when I, I, and it takes me back to the interview I had with that one manager that was running this company. Um, the first manager in trucking that interviewed me, he asked me, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I very confidently told him that I wanted to be in his spot, doing what he was doing. Hopefully his job, without affecting him, but I told him I wanted his job. So I had already gotten there. So I had already fulfilled that. And it was good money, it was really good money. I never thought I would make over six figures. Coming from where I come from, I never thought I could make that much money. So I was comfortable. But in my mind, I knew there's a lot more in there, dude. There's a lot more. You just, I just didn't know what to ask and who to ask. If you don't know what to ask, you don't know who to ask. So I knew I, 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 I had to give more. I just didn't know which direction to go in. The company starts growing a lot, and it starts getting very corporate. <laughs> so what happens, uh, uh, Luis, is all of a sudden... The drivers, you know, uh, Luis, Juan, Jose, all of a sudden they are associates and owner operators and drivers. They they started to become numbers, a file, mm-hmm. a number. Mm-hmm. I hate it when I go to the doctor and you know I'm patient number seven. You know, mm-hmm. it's not Israel, it's not Luis, it's it's patient number seven, and I hated that. I hated that, that we were too big to keep it personal. Mm. And the company kind of started going one direction, and I kind of was kind of drifting the other way. To make a long story short, we kind of decided that we were, you know, we were at a crossroads, the company and I. So I separated. I took about six months, eight months off completely it was a really big company man 300 300 plus drivers extremely stressful we would move an average of about 2500 containers a week that's a combination of deliveries and lambridge so it was a lot of stress man a ton of stress so i decided to take six eight months off i was i was good with my money so i was able to i had to learn how to invest in the stock market so I was buying, I was buying real estate, renting it. I was uh, investing in the stock market. These guys were paying me good money, man. They were giving me good bonuses. So if you don't work your money, you you know you park it in the bank. It's only gonna make so much, you know, in in in, in, in dividends. Mm-hmm. So I started playing with the stock market little by little, and I've been lucky. I've been lucky. Uh, um, I was uh, buying properties and renting them and, and or selling them if I had bad tenants, you know, because it is a headache. Mm. It is a headache. Um, and then one day I just said, you know what? I mean, I've been doing this for 14 years. Let me try it out. But 
I had I had this uh, this thing in my head that was really bothering me. I came in knowing nothing. I had no trucking experience, period. So I became the manager of that place. And then I'm gone. I'm no longer there, and I'm thinking about starting my own. But I still have this itch about whether this company gave me the opportunity to, to manage them just because I was like the only choice, the best choice at the moment. But in my head was I was I manager material. So after taking six months off, I go ahead and I get this management job at this smaller company. I just wanted to see if I could do it, man, because I didn't go to college. I didn't have management experience, prior management experience, no trucking experience. So I just wanted to make sure that, yeah, I was that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that it wasn't by chance that I got to where I got. So I landed this job as a manager. The company turned out, you know, to be, they gave me one vision when they hired me. Once I was on board, it was something completely different. And 90 days later, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're doing our separate things. And that's when I applied for my permits. And that's how GI is born. Hey, woo. Yeah, in 2014, November 19th, 2014 is when we moved our first container. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was a, it was a Lambridge container. I didn't have a yard yet. The driver pulls the container, gets rejected at the ICTF. So <laughs> it's like midnight. I don't have a yard. I don't know where to take this damn container, man. So I'm calling everybody I know, hey, can, can, can you let me rent one spot? Everybody's yards are full. I called one of my boys. He also he was a driver. He was he was an operator. He he now operates his own company as well. Uh, and he was he was there for me. He allowed me to not just park that container, but park another five containers in his yard. And that's uh, that was day one for for GI Logistics, man. It was pretty stressful. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it seems this industry, no matter how much experience you have, it's always gonna like throw little surprises. It's, you know, it's never the same. It's always something new, man. You plan for A, you end up with Z, man, somehow. So you covered one of the challenges <laughs> starting yep. the company. Uh, do you have any other challenges you faced during the startup days? Growing, growing pains is, you know, uh, keeping your customers happy so they can give you more volumes and keeping the drivers happy. So the growing pains to me are being able to grow, bringing drivers to meet the needs of, of your growth, of, of your customer. Uh, the biggest challenge has been keeping drivers happy because there's always somebody that is paying more than you. Even though some companies that pay you more, they don't have enough work for you for the week. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's always the, the flag that I've seen that everybody flies with. Oh, this company pays more, this company pays more. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a tough balance, keeping keeping both customers and, and drivers happy. But that's like, drivers is the, is the second second biggest challenge. You ever felt you had to pick between like satisfying the customers? Um, Sometimes you do have to pick, I think. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do what's best for the customer to keep the account hmm. and or sometimes to grow. You're not always going to keep the driver happy. You're not always going to keep the customer happy. Um, but that's that's the secret of this industry, right? Whoever finds a formula to manage that balance is who is who's able to stick around. Because mm. you can be as big as you want, man, but 
if you don't have that good balance with the drivers, drivers start leaving you and you only get, you're only so big. You know, you yeah, you have all the work, but if you don't have drivers, you don't have a company. At what point do you know uh, if it's a genuine love for the drivers or if it's like, uh, I got to keep it cool with them or they're going to tell me to fuck off? How do you know when it's authentic, the love for the drivers? Because a lot of companies nowadays are like, oh, our drivers are our number one asset. But are they really or do you say that just because, you know, I mean, generally speaking, people say that just because that's what we want to hear or. I think it's a combination. Mm hmm. I think it's a combination. One thing I've I've learned as a as I own my company now, is that it's very ha it's very hard to keep a driver happy. Um, it's either money or treatment, uh, but the drivers always go for both. Yeah, they might go somewhere else because they're paying better money, but they sometimes come back because they get treated like crap somewhere else. Well, there's some places where where they're able to keep guys, and you know that that company is not the best paying company. But if they treat the, the drivers good, if they treat the drivers better, drivers stick around. So you gotta find, you gotta find a balance of what's good enough money, but I think that the treatment to the drivers is key. You can pay the driver $1,000 to go to San Bernardino, but if you treat him like crap every, every time you talk to him, he's only gonna stick around for so long. He's only going to stick around for so long. So I think it's a, a balance of... Me, I don't know. They talk dirty to me. I'd send me to give me that money. Boy. Difference between talking dirty and talking smack. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. And now I got to write where I got to edit this out. Or yeah. will I? Raw and uncut, guys. Yep. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add from that journey of building up the company? The only thing I can say is If you love what you do, the money will come. If you stay true to the drivers, you will always have drivers. I think it's more important to keep the relationship with the driver first so that they can help you grow your customer base. You know, relationships with customers are extremely important. Usually you gain business by, you know, chopping it up with someone, talking to someone. Uh, breaking bread with someone, going to dinner, going to lunch, spending some time with a person, and then they give you their business. I find it that people like the relationship, the personality more than what you do for them, kind of. If a guy likes you, he's going to give you his business. Mm -hmm. A guy doesn't like you, it's you, the way it is. <laughs> you know, plain and simple. With yeah. drivers, you got to treat them right. Drivers, you have to treat them right. Yes, you pay them good, obviously. Mm -hmm. The pay cannot be a question. Yeah. You don't have to be the best paying. You cannot be the worst paying. If you manage to stay in the middle, average, but you treat them good, you got drivers for a while, man. Mm. I think. Yeah. From what I've learned. Yeah, we like our respect. Yep. Anything you want to speak on, like... It could be random. Any issue you have on your mind, something bugging you about the industry or, you know, like a PSA moment right now for Israel. One thing about the industry, Luis, is that, as I was mentioning to you before, before we started, before we went live, the drivers, the truckers own, have so much power in this industry. But yet we are the powerless group. You know, the steamship lines, the brokers drive the rates, drive what we do. 
how we do it. But yet we're the ones that spend the times at the ports, getting flipped, waiting for the crane to come back up. And flipped off. Getting flipped off, getting cursed at, getting treated like, like, like drivers get treated sometimes. I'm not a driver. I've never been in the terminals, but I've heard. I've, I've been on the phone with my guys when, when someone at the terminals, you know, saying some things that they shouldn't be saying. Mm-hmm. I think that if there was more unity in the industry, and when I say in the industry, I'm talking about the drivers. If there was more unity with the drivers, more, more ways for us to get together, I think that the drivers would gain a lot more power in the industry as it should be, as it should be. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be based on how much, how much this customer pays me and they drive what it is that I do. Mm-hmm. I think it's more, I think the drivers hold, hold the carts. I think that we just need to have more conversations and, and, and speak amongst ourselves a little bit more so that we can get, so that we can get that, that, that sentiment out there and that we just need to speak more. We just need, we just need to sit more and, and discuss more and, and find those that are willing to make a change in the industry for things to change for the good. Because this industry is driven by, again, by customers. At the end of the day, the rates that we, that we get is what drives what the consumer pays out there. So if we're out there paying, if we're here paying, paying a lot to move a container, like we were just six months ago. The rates were nice, actually not six months ago, I'm talking about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When the rates got, got really nice right after COVID or during COVID. Uh, maybe those rates got a little bit astronomical. You know, we all like them, but I think as a, as a business owner, I think that they got, some of them got a little bit astronomical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're paying, now we're paying the price. You know, at the stores, when you, when you go and buy a, a box of cereal, it's not the same amount of cereal you used to get a year ago. Mm-hmm. But yet, it's about two, three, four bucks more expensive than last year. So we're paying as consumers, but the rates for the truckers didn't, aren't sticking. The rates are already going down. Yeah. And they're going down because there's not enough work. So what happens when, when there's not enough work? Everybody lowers the rates. And what happens? We all take the rates. So that is, that is one item that I think uh, is up for discussion. I think that we as truckers have a lot more power than we realize. And I think it's time that, that we start having those conversations. Well, well I was told a while back that we get, we, de- we get what we deserve because we, the truckers are, are <clears throat> not willing to unionize. Mm. So if, if truckers were willing to unionize, would that make us more united? Or is that, you think, uh, not the right way? If or the, can it be done without having to be union? I think it can be done without having to be union. Uh, I don't think union is the answer. I think union between the drivers is the answer, but not union as in a labor union. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times labor unions benefit because they charge a fee. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to the employee needing a lawyer or needing a lawyer two or three times, you know, in the same year, I don't think the union is there for you. Yeah. I don't think the union provides the the protection that everybody thinks it does. If if the drivers were were guaranteed good treatment at the ports, 
by the union at the ports, then it would be a, a huge, huge step in the right direction. But what are the odds of that happening? Because that's what I was told. They don't respect us because we're like, they called us scabs, I believe. That was the word. Um, but in my opinion, regardless of if you're union or, or not, or if you're pink or purple, you know what I mean? Or whatever your political party or, yeah. or sexual orientation, I think respect should be like, something that is non-negotiable you know like i think you're 100 percent correct it uh, doesn't give you a green light to disrespect people and treat them like shit because they're not unionized i think you're correct man but i think it goes into i don't know why people would respect it because you're union or not for starters you know there's discrimination at the ports because you don't speak the language there's discrimination because you're not born here there's a lot of prejudices that don't help or that make the the problem worse but then just generalizing that they don't respect us because we're not union i don't think that's i don't think that's accurate i don't think that's i don't think that's true what about you can't respect someone that doesn't respect themselves and what i mean by that is that sometimes like us truckers I just posted something about the way we leave the restrooms, yes. allegedly, right? Well, I wasn't there to see this person destroy the restroom at this terminal, but that's one example of like how we get that bad reputation. It's easy to it's easy to generalize that everybody's dirty, that everybody uh, writes in the restrooms, and because there's nobody to to stand up mm -hmm. for 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 the drivers, you know, the drivers always get blamed. Oh, he left the container on wheels. He, and he didn't report it to the trouble window. He did this, and just an example, just an example, at, uh, how many times w when you used to drive, you were told, go park on wheels. You park on wheels, and then your company's charging you $100 because you left the container on wheels. Mm -hmm. How many times did that happen to you? It happened a lot of times when I used to dispatch. And I kind of lost my train of thought where, where I was going with that. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, man, I, I lost myself with that. I guess, long story short, we get, like, pushed around a lot, and then, fuck it, it's just the driver, like, find them. Yes, uh, uh, we do get pushed around. We don't go back to the trouble window and say, hey, this container was parked on wheels. I mean, everybody, I, I don't know if we are regarded, I think drivers aren't regarded the way they should be. They've always seen us as, 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 as being at the bottom of the, of the, of the totem pole, and... And I think that the lack of, of unity is what keeps us there. When we start showing that we hold some cards in the game, that we that we are stakeholders as well, it's I think when, when, when the other institutions will start respecting us. What's taking so long, dude? I mean, this has been going on for a while, enough to where like anyone with common sense would have figured out that's the case, then why not act on it? Because why has none of this worked? Because I'm going on this shit almost 10 years, you're right? There's also a bunch of other organizations. There's a lot of other things going on. Why is trucking still shitty when it comes to respect for the drivers? Because they need more information, and I think that you are making a change. Containeros is making a change. A year ago, a year and a half ago, you only had about 15,000 followers. Right now, you're above 50,000, 70,000 followers. People like your material. People like information. Why things haven't changed? Because 
maybe you're not loud enough. Mm. When when you first came out, I was like, man, you know, a nono operator that is out there representing the drivers, it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, you started taking off a hundred followers, then fifteen hundred, then five thousand. I mean, I've seen how you've grown in such small period of time. Why is it taking so long? Because we need to change our culture. Culture. We need. Number one, we need to erase the line between the people that are born here and the truckers that are born here and the truckers that come from abroad. It's the same group. So the amount of information that's out there for the drivers is number one. We're not informed. Truckers are the ones that find out last. Yeah. Look, look at what happened with AB5. Exactly. We found out when the courts come out and they say, hey, this is law. All of a sudden, everybody's out there protesting. Everybody was out there the first day. When it's law. When it's already too late. Mm -hmm. But even then, even then, we get out there the first day. Second day, 50% of the people. By the fourth day, there was a handful of, 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 of you and us. I was out there passing food to, you know, to the, you know, mm -hmm. the lines. Mm -hmm. By the fourth day, it was, it was like it wasn't even a demonstration. It was, not, it was absolutely nothing. Why is it taking so long? Because there's not enough information. The drivers feel that nobody backs them up. They feel that they don't have a voice. I own a trucking company. A lot of trucking companies are seen as the enemy sometimes. They don't pay us enough. They, they step on us, blah, blah, blah. But that's the resentment of the drivers because that's what happens to them every day at the ports. I'm not going to say that all trucking companies are pro-drivers. I like to think that I am pro-drivers. But I'm only one, and I'm a small trucking company. But you know what? I will continue to do what I do. Somebody else will see what we're doing. And things are bound to change eventually. Eventually, but people need to know that we're out there. Truckers like, like us are out there. People like you are out there giving out information. And I think it's just lack of information. I really do think that it's just lack of information. But once we wake up, I'm telling you, we own the cards in this industry. About between 30 and 40% of the products that come into the U.S. come to California. If you get half of us truck drivers on the same page and this all these small truckers, small trucking companies back their drivers up like they should, the car the game changes. But the, it gets political. There's always gonna be someone that wants to step in and organize it gets, it gets political organize them. When you let the big trucking companies come in and take charge. They have a big, bigger stake. A lot of times the little guys, we let the big guys talk, but the big guys talk are in with the ports, are in with the terminals. Whoever's running that trucking company might be someone that used to be with a steamship line or with the port, mm -hmm. and that's where thing get, things get lost. We forget that the driver is the one that matters in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You got drivers and you have containers. Those are the two most important things in the game. Mm -hmm. we, are, we come second. We come second. So when we realize how much power we hold, but yeah. we actually unite, talk, and work for a common goal versus let me just sell out right now that I'm on top. Let me take advantage. Let me just uh, cash in while I can. We might not be able to see the, 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 the fruits of our work, but the people that are coming behind us might. And that's what people before us did, man. You know, so 
A lot of times we don't follow something through because we get greedy. We're, oh, we're not going to see the, the, the fruits of our efforts. Why, why do it for somebody else that doesn't care? We got to change that mentality in, in, our, in our, not only in our industry, but within our culture, within the Latin, Latino community. It's, 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 that is so present, you know, uh, the, the invidia, the, the, the greediness, the let me cash in before somebody else does or, or somebody else is going to cash in. Why don't I? Mm-hmm. do myself and I think that we need to be a little bit less greedy but we need leadership we need we need we need people that that can talk that have vision that people follow uh it's it, it's it's a few things have to come together like a little together. combination yes recipe for us to realize how much power we have mm-hmm. man I'm telling you we have I fucking s- know we do we have so we much do. power as drivers we just gotta let and show mm-hmm. others but it's like I was telling you before the show, it's just a matter of time and it's a matter of getting the information out there. Yeah. Contineros didn't exist. How long have you been doing this? Since 2014, like in August. 2014. So you've been. You started with some stickers in a Facebook group. There you go. And Nine years. Little, little by little, more people ask for the stickers. It's like having the sticker is like being a, a member in a way, you know? It's yep. like. It's like a like a code, like an unofficial membership. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we're not a union, and we're we're not like. Uh, I would say we're more like an unofficial club. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing I've been kind of. You might want to. I don't know what word to describe it. Maybe uncertain or like. Mm, a simple word would be like confused. I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we? You know. But I feel like the minute I put like a label on it, it kind of loses its its power to be whatever it needs to be when the time comes you know so i feel like right now it's just like like water like okay this came up let's let's tackle this but i do definitely admit i i gotta put some more thought into it i I, i've lately i've had a a lot of like personal stuff uh mentally like just me as a person like growing and being aware of some things and wanting to like you know, cliche or whatever you want to call it, as it sounds like, find myself. I'm 36 mm-hmm. now, but like I know I have a, a, a expiration date, you know, and I want to make an impact. But it's like also, I'm human, you know. I, I also fear failure. I fear um, not leaving some kind of legacy for my family. I also fear like just losing what I'm building, or or so much so that sometimes I I sabotage things in my life to you sabotage like, yourself yeah so maybe it doesn't feel like it'll hurt as bad if i fail like oh yeah i, I chose to do it yeah versus trying something and failing that would hurt more probably but and that's why it sounds very shitty but once again i'm human so i just want to figure it out you know and i know that once i do like it'll be that'll be it you know i think it's like you're just in the ocean and you got this powerful ship and it's like motherfucker just pick which way you're gonna go already you're finding a waypoint you you're know what to i mean find a waypoint yeah and you want to know that wherever you land it's going to be the most beneficial to all the the nodes within your life structure <clears throat> you know family strangers humanity in general the industry is there a way to tie that all together just being real yeah i'm not like some well, before you, there was no place where we could go and, and figure out how the terminals are doing real time. We had to we had to uh, log on to uh, the website with it with Heather cameras mm-hmm. 
kind of like gauge how things are based on what the camera can see. Yeah. But what about where the cameras can't see and the line's still going a mile, two miles? So with you, mm-hmm. now we have vision of how line the line, how long the lines really are, where the inspections are, where the traffic is. I think that you you've brought a point of a source of source of information for everyone that follows you and I think that that's why you become so popular because the information you put out is number one real time it's coming from your followers uh, and I think you're just going to get better man it's just a matter of figuring out the organization of how this how you want this to to, to, to be and develop that thick skin because I wish I could trade places with some people and they, they can get a taste of it like sometimes you got to you take some shit sometimes too, right? And you gotta just keep going, and it's like not take things personal. Cause if you if you favor something, you're always gonna get resistance from what you disfavor, obviously, yep. right? So, elegir es renunciar in a way. So, it comes with the turf, I guess. But now I feel like I'm just not negatively saying it, but in it too deep to just be like, oh, that's it, you know? Like we made, we made it this far, so let's hope that God guides us to whatever's best. You know, let it happen, man, because I'm just a human. And, and yeah. if anything extraordinary happens, it ain't going to be through me. It's going to be through, through through my guides and, yeah. you know, God helping me. Like, yeah. I, I honestly don't see what way I can, you know, yeah. catapult to some kind of. I think you're there, man. You just, <laughs> I think you're there. I mean, you just, you're doing what, what we all do with life. You know, we're just kind of running with it and figuring out as, 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 as we go through it. It's called the journey. What was that quote you said earlier? Uh, life's a journey, and you, and you learn it when you're through. <laughs> yeah, we try too hard to figure it out sometimes. That yep. it kind of like yep. paralysis by analysis. Exactly, you know? exactly. All right, so moving on. Is this the worst you've seen in drayage since you started? Probably. I don't want to say that it's the worst, but it's it ranks up there with, with the worst. I mean, we as a company are operating at, I would say, 20-30% of what we usually operate on. Yeah, we're hit pretty hard. Shit. We don't own a warehouse, so we're not like other truckers that also you know do logistics. You know, they, they do extra work, legs. They do warehousing, so they have their base or their core work, and mm-hmm. they rely on other extra accounts yeah. to, 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 to fill in the... the the gaps, I rely 100% on trucking, 100%. So we're hit pretty hard. Luckily, I have some loyal customers. I have some good customers. I actually gained a couple of new accounts that are kicking in in a couple of months. Nice. But it's been a struggle since June. We haven't, we've been operating at 25%. So revenue-wise, we're not making enough to pay the bills. We're actually bleeding a little bit of money. But mm-hmm. you mentioned on a post a few months back, a few weeks back, and you said, you know, the ones that are going to survive are the ones that will figure it out, you know, and, and, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing sometimes, you know. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, yeah, this is yeah. my very first business. Yeah. Uh, I learned that ever since my mom left when I was five years old, you know, I had to figure it out, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to figure it out. Is it the worst? It's probably the worst. Um, I feel lost sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Um we will look back six months from now, a year from now. We will, we will, we will see what we could have done better. Well, this is uh, 
great that you share that. Uh, that's kind of being uh, very transparent because mm. that could help someone out there like starting up and going through it and yep. thinking, beating them, beating themselves up, thinking that, oh, it's me. I suck or something. I'm not doing something right. Or you know what I mean? Yep. Coming from someone that's already been in, in the industry a while and, and had its company for a while, had a taste of success. And even you saying that it's obviously not just them, you yeah. know, so it, it gives hope that hey, this is something we're all going through. We're in it together. Yeah. And like that post, you know, the ones that make it through this test will be the ones to reap the rewards of what's left. And when it comes back up, you know, uh, when COVID, I, I, I'm just going to, this is just a side comment. When COVID hit, uh, we started seeing on TV that everybody says, we're in it together, we're in it together, we're in it together. And I feel alone through this, man. I, you know, everybody says we're in it together, but nobody's come to me. But stay, stay your ass six feet away, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're in it together, but stay six feet away from me. Exactly. That's exactly how this, how this has been. Um, we're in it together, but we're not in it together. You know, you got to. Did you use sanitizer on the way in here, by the way? Yes, I did. No hands on <laughs> <laughs> I washed my hands, actually. Um, we've struggled. Like when Trump started the, uh, the, the tax war with China, that the volumes dropped mm -hmm. drastically, we were hit pretty hard as well. I think uh, in my industry, man, you asked me about my journey. Um, I've had to put money. After I started, I think in the fifth year, I had to put some money in to the company to kind of keep us afloat when the volumes kind of dried out when when we, when our when our taxes to China were were through the roof okay um but I figured okay look do I walk away from 5 years of hard work or do I put some more money into this to survive this 6 months this year and see what next year brings obviously I had to make an educated decision yeah I called uh, some of my customers. I asked for some projections. I asked for, for kind of like the the pulse of of what was going on from their side. And I saw that it was worth it for me to put some money into the company. I put some money into the company. Then COVID hits. And COVID was a blessing for us because we were a busy boy. I mean, we were busy. The the the. I think I put in about two hundred k into my into my company for my for my retirement for my investments. And uh, that's a lot of faith in yourself. That's a lot of faith in myself, not knowing what the hell I was doing yet. But you know what? Again, we go back to if you believe in what you're doing, if you believe in your mission. I mean, does Steve Jobs know what he was doing when he was doing it? Did uh, did did Einstein know what he was doing when he was doing it? You know, they, they found out later that, hey, this is the right thing. And I'm not obviously comparing myself to them at all, but. Sometimes you just have to trust your gut, you know. You can educate yourself in in all the aspects of of what you're about to do, but you know that following your gut also plays a little bit into into your decisions. And I did and it it paid out. It paid out. We made enough money to where we're surviving this right now. You know, we're not making money, but we're not, you know, we're losing a little bit of money, but but we're there. We're 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 surviving the the risk you took then saved you from this situation. The risk I took from th the risk I took then helped me, helped me put money away so that I could survive this. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're doing one thing you don't know what you're working towards. You know, I didn't always working towards this. You know, five years later, 
four years later, you know, it was going to hit us even harder and I was going to have enough money to survive through this, which is a blessing in disguise, you know? Mm -hmm. With this experience, do you feel now you want to have an extra set of income, maybe pursue warehousing or anything else, or you're just going to double down on on building the trucking only site? No, warehousing has always been, warehousing has always been something that I wanted Okay. That I want to do. I have a customer that owns a warehouse, and I kind of market myself as owning a warehouse because we pretty much, I work pretty much for them. Okay. And if I do need warehousing, I mean, they're there at my disposal as well. So, but I do want to own my own. I do want to own my own, and I want to branch out into other other industries. Kind of. We may have covered a little bit of this, but what's the biggest challenge? Like the biggest challenge, running a a, a drayage company. In your opinion, there's many, right? But you have to have thick skin. You have to have thick skin, and you can't take this. You gotta take this job personal to become successful. But you can't take things people say personal. For example, for example, people, you know, we all have bad days. We were talking about the union and how the drivers get treated at the ports. You know, a driver's having a bad day. You're having a really bad day. Driver calls you all upset, screaming at you. He wants to drop his load. He's been waiting five hours, and there's no, there's no end to his waiting for the day. He knows he's not going to make any money, and you got to convince him to stay, somehow, some way. Even though you might be having the crappiest day, ever, you got to convince this dude that hey, please help me, help me take care of the customer. We take care of the customer. He's going to take care of us when things are slow, you know. Uh, we can't take care of you without a customer. We can't take care of you without a customer, but I can't take care of the customer without you either. So the driver has to understand how important he is in the equation. The biggest challenge is, again, having that good relationship with the driver that believes you, trusts you or your dispatcher to know that, hey, today he's not going to make money. He might not even pull this load. It might turn into a freaking $100 dry run or you know whatever hours of waiting time you don't make money in waiting time you make money moving loads so the hardest the, the toughest is is being able to 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 manage the driver to handle the driver uh but you got to have thick skin you know when the driver when the customer is calling you ripping on you about you know your, your trucking sucks and and you're late and, and, and you're the worst trucker you've ever had you know you can't take those things personal because you don't control what goes on at the ports you don't they con- are disconnected a lot of them right they think you just go in there. Oh, yes. there's my can. Let me go. But it's your job as a as a, as a company. Yeah. It's your is your job as a company to 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 give them a little insight of what the what the dri- not what you go through mm-hmm. but what you, the driver goes through, what he's got to put up with, in order to get that hot container out. Tell him to follow the page. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, th- this could be life. This could be personal. This could be business. Yes. Relationship. Hey. Yes. Uh, what's been the toughest thing you've had to go through? And I mean, you went through it, right? Obviously, there was a light a- at the end of the tunnel, but the toughest thing you went through, and how did you get out of that situation? The toughest thing I went through, Luis, was crossing the border to come to the U.S. Um, right before I crossed, there was no, well, nowadays you see the signs on, on the 5 freeway when you approach the border. And you see the family, the man, the woman, and the little kid, you know, with the legs flying. Because like people cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I crossed the freeway. I crossed the five freeway. And we stopped 
halfway through and took, I, I recall, I was 13 years old, man, 13 years old. I recall these two cars flying by us, you know, everybody down, you know, closer to the border doesn't drive 55, they drive a lot faster. And it was, it was, it was me and some other people and we're like in the, in the white lines, in the dividing lines and two cars go by, you know, both of them at the same time and they shook the hell out of us. That was scary for a 13 year old to be in an open road like that. So you're in the middle of your attempt at crossing the freeway and well, these cars are active they're going yeah, yeah, through yeah, yeah. You, 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 so you could have got hey you were you were already halfway and you got a taste of yes, two cars yes that's how fast they were coming that you didn't perceive them like no no we perceived them but i mean you gotta you, you go one line and you stop another line and you stop and it's because it, 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 there's constant traffic and you gotta cross mm. how many lanes was it around there i think it was eight lane back then back in 86 it was eight lanes eight lanes damn four four each way Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Yeah, I don't know what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, okay. You're yeah. thinking of regular roads. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the hardest thing, man. All of it. That was the hardest thing. And every time I've, I've, I've come across a challenge in my life, I remember being that little kid. And at that age, already crossing some big at that shit. age, At that age, crossing that border, dude. And I know people make fun of it, you know, and nobody wants to be related to someone that's an immigrant or that, you know, they call you all kinds of names and... And whatever, and you got to go through the shame of not being from here, or not knowing the language, or being a wetback, or being this, or being that. But that, that's never faced me. That's never faced me. Me, me, coming across a challenge and remembering that day, that night, when I'm crossing the freeway, just to have the opportunity that anybody that's born here has. I mean, I had to earn my spot here. I had to earn my spot, yeah. you know, to be in this country, man. So that's the toughest for me. That's one of the toughest. Wow, that sounds for that. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Like committed to make it that you put your life on the line, eight lanes. You kind of have to. You kind of have to. I mean, you made it past that, so I guess anything else, it's like just those cars passing by. Eventually, you make it through. A little bit. If if you if you if you, I was if if I would have gotten in my head when we were. In traffic in the middle of the freeway you know you panic you run you get run over you know but you kind of stay calm and just kind of look around you and assess the situation and that's pretty much what we did bro I mean it sounds all intricate you're just crossing a road but you're crossing I'm crossing into another country dude I mean my mind is at a million thoughts a second that's like the moment the finish line you <laughs> yes. know yes and this is happening at night or this the, is at night this yeah. is at night this is this is peach black this is at night you know, you, you oh, cross shit. the border when yeah, it's dark, bro. Yeah, yeah that's a stupid question. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm still impressed by that. Just the way you described it. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of us, we take shit for granted here. Like, yeah. You know, so it's nice to know those, what some people go through to get what we sometimes feel is not enough. But to them, it's everything. So. I, had to, I had to earn my, my, my right to be here. I had to earn being able to get a driver's license. I had to earn the right to be able to join the service. You know, like, there's a lot of things I had to earn to be just a regular citizen. Mm -hmm. So, like, what we're going through right now, it's a challenge, but yeah. we'll get through it, man. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, man. If you were not trucking, what would you do, do you think, is your... Probably flying airplanes. Yeah? Yeah. You have the qualifications with vision? They're very strict on those 2020, right? 
Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah, they are. I don't know if they're they're still that strict with how far technology has come. I really do not know. Oh, I don't know okay, enough okay, about okay. the industry, but I would I would I would have loved to do that. What what um. Black Hawk, a fighter jet. Uh, well, I went in the Navy, wanted to be a, a, a an airplane mm-hmm. uh, pilot. I actually got selected or invited to apply for officer school. It's called OCS. Um, but when I was offered the opportunity by the CNO, which is the Chief of Naval Operations, I being a citizenship a citizen was one of the requirements, and I wasn't then. Mm. I was just a, a legal resident. Mm-hmm. Uh, the military helped me get my citizenship. But once I got the citizenship, I needed to re-up nine more years in the Navy. They were going to give me free school, uh, flight school, well, university for years, flight school, I believe a year, uh, and then um, officer training, which was like six months, eight months. But anyways, I was going to be, I think, 34, 35 by the time I got out of the service. And I was like, ah, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit too old. Hey, man, I'm 36. I know, I know, I know. I know. But I figured, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of the service and I'm, I'm competing with all the college kids. And I, I felt a little, that was going to be a little bit too old mm. to be able to compete with that level. Okay. So I figured I would get out and, you know, get out younger and do something in the civilian life where, where I figured... Well, I was pretty sure I had a hunch, man, that I was going to do better. And God has looked out for me. You know, the, the cards have aligned for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Top Gun. <laughs> Any advice for 18-year-old Israel? Whew. Advice for 18-year-old Israel is... At 18, I was lost, believe it or not. I had a low self-esteem. I was depressed, I think. There was a lot going on in my personal life at home that uh, put me in that spot. That's one of the reasons why I left to go mm. in the service. Uh, the only advice I would give him is stay the course, man. Believe it or not, you, you kind of know what you're doing. Just, you know, just, just stay the course. Follow your gut. Patience yep. goes a long way. Huh? Yeah, and patience. Patience. Time will, will tell, dude. Everybody's impatient. We all want results right away, but time will tell. Time brings out the truth. Time, you know, time takes care of everything, man. That's all you would tell me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you make me feel awkward. Like, I feel like I should, I should tell myself a little no, more. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just me being me. Okay, advice for others trying to make it in Drage. Advice for others trying to make it in Drage. Again, man, stay the course. Educate yourself. Follow your gut, but do do stay informed. Do do talk to people. Do do stay close with your customers. I mean, if you want to stay in Drage and, and continue in Drage, you got to have a good relationship with your customers. You have to have a good relationship with your customers because one customer refers you to another. Just the way you should have a good relationship with the drivers because without drivers, if you don't drive, you don't have a trucking company like myself. I never drove, so gotta have a good relationship with the drivers okay one more thing um if you could uh if i gave you superpowers or whatever magic wand and you can go to change one thing at at terminals what would that be <laughs> the turn times the turn times turn okay. times turn times at the terminals why do you think they're not as good as you would want them to be 
this is just my opinion. I don't work at the terminals, but I believe that the ports, the port workers stagger the work to give themselves five days worth of work, mm -hmm. especially when we're slow. It's funny how, how the turn times when it's slow don't change much from when it's really busy. Sometimes, you know, it's slow, and if when you're really busy, you know, the terminal's extremely congested, you average three hours to get out of the terminal. When it's really slow, sometimes you average three hours to get out of the terminal. You wonder why. They're not well, doing the same amount of turns. Why is it taking me this long? Mm -hmm. You get a good chassis, get flipped, go to the outgate, and in Roto, they turn you around because a tire looks like it needs to be uh, mm -hmm. swapped. There's no mechanics to help you out. So they turn you around and then go make you flip the container again. How many times did you have to do to flip a good container? I mean, a container that wasn't good chassis. Mm -hmm. I think that they stagger the work a little bit. That's just my opinion. Okay. I cannot prove it, but yeah. I've been told that they show up based on how many they order of them. So that the terminal is to blame because they order less manpower. So I guess that explains your, your, your curiosity of why a busy day is still three hours turn time versus a slow day is still three hours turn time because it's proportional to the amount of work they have, the the amount of labor they order. So it's like a profitable and, business, right? And so they make that decision based on their profits, not on, on, yeah. on, on terminal, not on terminal performance. Let's take care of these guys and let's clean up the terminal versus, you know what? I don't want to spend that much money because we don't have that many volumes coming through. Mm -hmm. It's... It's either the well, yeah, the terminal and the terminal workers staggering the work, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's the terminal or it's the, the I don't want to say the union employees, but you know they're the ones that drive the cranes and and and, and service you. So, why do you feel that topic is so obscure as far as getting knowledge about it? Like, why is there so much stuff left in the dark? Like, because everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid to talk, dude. Everybody. Why can't we know exactly what's going on? Invite some, invite some somebody from from that works at the terminal to come and talk. So There's some, some that that come on or that are willing to come on, but they don't because they can't. They don't want to. They don't want to speak freely. They can't talk about that, even if it helps well, us understand. That's your answer. So that we're not in conflict. That's your answer. Because if sharing certain information puts us at a like the drivers with them, be like, oh, now we understand. Okay. But that information is not shared willingly because... I'm going to say this, and it might not be a, a popular comment, but look, the people that have the power to, or the relationships, to work with the terminals. You know, ever since I came into the industry, which was back in 2000, I always hear the terminals say, oh yeah, we're going to work on the turn times. We're, gonna, we're working on the wheel situation. We're working on this, we're working on that. And, and I hear the same responses that I heard back in 2000. They're always working on the problem. They're always working on the issue. They're going to look into it. But it's always the same thing. But if, if, if the terminal is not going to do 20,000 turns today because the volumes aren't there, they're only going to do 500. Instead of bringing, let's just say, 100 workers, they're going to bring two. Shouldn't they bring 10 so they can get the drivers there? A lot quicker. Why do we have to have two turns, two shifts? I'm sorry. If there's not enough volumes, why don't we just have one shift and just service the hell out of everybody in one shift? You're gonna spend the same amount of money whether you have one turn or two turns, one shift or two shifts, with limited amount of 
with limited uh, with skeleton crew on the day side, skeleton crew on the night. So I want to just bring a full a full crew for one shift and service everybody. Everybody would be happy. Well, well what are we missing? <sighs> you tell me. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But if I worked at a terminal, I I try. I would try other things just to see if they work. I just don't think that that they're working on the problem. Why? That's that's just the the big why. I, I, I really don't know. And I don't understand enough. I think we just gotta know whose toes we step on when certain modifications are made. And then I that think, can lead to the, the solution. I right? think that it's all about money. It's all about how much how much is the money going to how much the terminal is going to make today. And that's the amount of workers that they allocate to the to the issue. They're not working at fixing the issue. They're just looking at dollars, you know, pluses or minuses. That's it. There's really not much profit and efficiencies, right, when it comes to that. No. If you think about storage fees and missed appointments, last then three days, if, all that. I mean, the terminals, some terminals are very friendly. They work with us. Like, I have a lot of terminals that, that, that push the last three days if they're congested. Uh, they exempt appointments for us. They, they do a lot, of, a lot for us, but that's the relationship we as a trucker have with the terminal. Some terminals are like, you know what? You missed your appointment. It's on you. There's no wheels. It's not my. It's not my problem. Um, they're gonna make money charging the merge regardless. So some of them don't care, and they are blunt about it. They mm -hmm. flat out don't care. Why do they get away with it? Because nobody says anything. People have have a platform to 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 put things on the table, and they don't want to ruin the relationship with X Y Z terminal. I mean, the terminal's got to do their job regardless. They're mm -hmm. not doing you a favor by servicing you. They're doing their customer a favor, which the customer's paying for that service. They act as if they're, they're helping us. They're not helping us. We're both servicing a mutual customer. You know, but we, we, we talk terminals and we talk ports and, and we kind of act as if, you know, we, we got we to gotta walk on eggshells. Uh, Why is that? I feel that's been the biggest delay in expediting change because of the whole political correctness bullshit i guess because of the ass kissers bro I, I i've never understood i mean if i'm a big trucker if i own two three hundred uh trucks saying the wrong thing can you can saying the wrong thing can get you can get you banned can get you you know spanked in the hand and should it be that way it's just an example on how the terminals run the business mm -hmm. you don't fear any of that coming on here and do you think other companies give that some thought and that's why I think so. Politely decline the offer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. What is there to fear though? In reality, like money. You don't make enough money. You're gonna lose, miss out on an account because you said something that's wrong. But I'll tell you what, dude. If you don't stick out for for the, for the driver turn times, the customer doesn't benefit. And if the customer's paying me to deliver that freight, I am going to do everything I can to deliver that piece of freight on time if the terminal is a reason why I'm not able to perform I am going to let my customer know that the terminal is the reason why we are three hours late every day or or we delay in the amount of, of volumes that we can deliver yeah it has to do with our capacity as well depending mm -hmm. on the volume but you don't want to take the blame for something that but I'm not taking the blame control. that exactly 100% okay. but people are afraid to say the terminal this or the terminal that because they don't want to upset their contacts at the terminal, which if we truly want to help the industry move forward, we have to hear the things that we don't want to hear. 
you know but you need people to use these platforms to put them on the spot and have the terminals explain why the long turn times why hear from a terminal from a crane operator explain the long turn times i know they can't say everything but honestly no one's going to give us an answer if it's not them, we're not. We're never gonna know the truth. And we're just left to assume. We're left to assume, which kind of sucks sometimes. But a little bit. Yep. All right. Uh, we're at the end of this, as far as my list goes. Uh, do you have anything you would like to add? Uh, we could sit here and talk, you know, for a couple of more hours, man. Um, I just want to thank you for the invitation. Uh, it was a, it was my first podcast ever. You did great. Really? <laughs> I was a little bit nervous. Um, I just wanted to come here, man, and, and be up front and be black and white. You know, give you my opinion. I know I might ruffle some feathers. I have in the past. I don't care. Um, but I think that if you are given the opportunity to speak at a platform that has a lot of ears and eyes, I think you need to, to say how things are. You need to speak how things are. Uh, you need to bring up the issues. Uh, and I think that we need visibility on terminal turn times. We need visibility on driver treatment, and we need visibility on rates, which are, and, and driver unity. Those things are at the core of the issues that we face, um, and I think that if you continue with this platform, I think that uh, it's gonna get big enough, man, to where, to where, to where drivers actually earn a voice and we can actually hopefully make a difference down the road. We might not, like I told you earlier, we might not be able to see the fruits of you know what you're trying to do, but I think you're in the right direction, man. And I think that, like I said, back in 2000, we didn't have this visibility. You know, there was a lockout, I believe in, when was the big lockout? Um, there was a lockout in 2008, but I think there was one in 2002 or 2003. Mm. And there was nowhere to get information other than the news. Internet was still, you know, mm. fresh. You know, with, when AB5 happened, we knew what was going on thanks to your platform and some of the others that were sharing. Mm. You know, but you were one of the biggest ones out there. And I think that thanks to you, everybody, not only in California, was able to stay informed, but the country was seeing what was whole going on in California. Unfortunately, it died out too soon, but it, it was beautiful to see. It died out too soon. You saw the amount of drivers that were out there. Yeah, if we would beautiful. have done that two, three, four, that entire week, I think the industry would have taken notice. Yeah. I'm not saying that it would have changed things, but it, it would have taken notice. By Wednesday, there was like 10% of us out there, man. There was 10% of, of us out there, and by Thursday, Friday, it was it was a done deal. You know, The, the medium size, the big companies were already drained and... Once again, that's getting, another getting, topic. Once again, getting like, you know, laughed at for an unsuccessful attempt. Burning bridges that we're trying to build, bro. Mm. That's my thing. You know, we were trying to build a bridge, and, and by getting out there and working by Wednesday, Thursday, we burn all those bridges that we were trying to build. You know, and again, we're set back. Set back another how many years until, you know, people actually start hearing voices like yours and, and actually. I'm not talking about causing chaos, man, but but giving the driver's voice, a voice where 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 the drivers have a say so in this in this whole thing, you know. Yeah, no need for chaos. I think yeah. with the with the proper knowledge and knowing the purpose of, you know, the out with the end desire, yep. 
that could have been done with everyone just simply not showing up. Yep. We don't need to have the visuals to get the result. Exactly. It's crazy, huh? But it's just that somehow doing it that way, there's accountability. Like, look, you see me out here. I'm out here. I'm, I'm part of it. I'm supporting. When you see my truck rolling, yep. that's me. I helped. Yep. Versus like in the shadows, you could still have a big impact. Yep. Not even showing up. You won't get the, the clout or you won't get the... You know what I mean? You won't make it on the news. Yeah. But you, it, if you're really about it, it it's, doesn't matter how you get it across. Just As long as you meet the end goal, yes. Mm-hmm. What you do when no one's looking yep. and what actions you take then, those are the ones that really yep. count. So, yep. eh, we'll see where this goes, man. I, I thank you so much for your time and, and that burrito you brought. <laughs> that was epic. I recommend it. If you ever open a restaurant, I'll be sure to. That would be one of my spots because... I really enjoyed that. It was delicious. So we are thank gonna, you for that. We are going to open up a restaurant. I'll keep you I'll keep you in the loop, man. Let me know. Let me know. I'll keep you in the loop. Orale, pues. So, anything else you want to add? No, nah, man. Going once. Going thanks time. a lot for the invite. Again, bro, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, thanks a lot for the invite. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, you can get people that can come be here and, 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 and you know, speak up. <laughs> truly speak their mind, dude. And hopefully, we can get some, some drivers... Uh, uh, not to unionize, but some drivers to, to, to come together. Yeah, it'll definitely be a unique uh, existence, a yeah. unique uh, structure. It'll be different. Of it'll, course. It'll be scary for a lot of people, I'll tell you that yeah, much. Yeah, for sure. But that's why you need good leadership. <laughs> you need good leadership, you know, guiding guiding this this big force because it can be a huge force, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right, thank you once again. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks a lot, Luis. Peace. Thank you.